Welcome to this week's episode of Resisting the Dragon's Beast. I am Pastor Michael Zarling, and I'm here with Pastor Peter Hagen. So one thing I wanted to start with before we get into Chapter 6, Peter, is you know, in the last episode, we talked about Conor McGregor. And ah, yes. so, forth. so I don't know if you noticed this, but because we mentioned his name on our podcast, that he is now so popular that he is vying to become president of Ireland. Hey, that's fantastic. I, I endorse him wholeheartedly, yes. um, knowing nothing about him other than the fact that he is a terrible human being on a personal level, and he has had a modicum of success in the, uh, the fighting arena. Um, that is the entire basis for my political endorsement. Yeah, because he posted this on X. <laughs> Potential competition if I run Jerry 78, Birdie 75, Edna 74. So even based on that, I mean, they've got elderly and senior citizens that are running for their presidency, just like we do here in America. And I, I'm going to guess that Connor, in a, if, it, if it was in a wrestling match or – uh you know whatever he does <laughs> yeah. he's not wrestling uh he could take him but yeah, yeah, i just totally. i just bring it up because we mentioned him and then the very uh -huh. next week he's uh sh shoots the popularity because i don't think anyone really knew about him until we talked about him oh no totally not he was an absolutely unknown yeah. but um so I, I i would propose this is probably a little radical but i would propose that ireland would switch to um rather than election by voting um election by combat um, and you know, he's running against three competitors, just team them all up and, uh, versus the, versus the one Conor McGregor. Yeah. Like in, in wrestling, professional wrestling, you do a battle Royal. Yeah. You know, the last everyone, you know, they have 30 wrestlers, uh, everyone that is thrown over the top rope, you know, they're out the guy that's left, he stays. So. Excellent. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. All right. Uh, and then to talk about something else, uh, page 97, I talk about a little known uh, TV show, too, uh, that oh, yeah. I think I made popular by mentioning it in the book. Pulled it um, from the dustbin of obscurity. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> a little book series on HBO called Game of Thrones. So, so there, and we talked about this in Bible study today, and, and I read these three paragraphs that I'm going to read now, and you know, none of the people had ever heard of Game of Thrones, except <laughs> for for one young lady, Christina, and I asked her, you know, can you explain your daughter's name to everyone? Because they all know her daughter's name is Khaleesi, who is the queen of dragons in this show. So she obviously knew the show. Knew it and loved it enough to name her daughter after one of the main main characters. And then I learned after we mentioned that that Louise had mentioned that had named her son Kyle, which I knew. Do you know why she named him Kyle? Was there a Kyle McGregor somewhere? No, no. <laughs> this is from the Terminator. It is Kyle is the one who comes and you know he's the the kid that he eventually becomes uh, to destroy and defeat the Terminator and so forth, the one that's sent back in time and so forth, which I knew, but I never connected that that's why she named her eldest son Kyle. All right. Hmm. All right. Anyhow, 
<laughs> okay, so is this George Martin? Has he written a few books, or does he have one coming yet? Um... <laughs> I think he still has one coming. He hasn't finished it. And from what I heard, that's why that last season of Game of Thrones was pretty awful, because they were just writing it on the fly. <laughs> okay, we've got this fantastic author, but uh, we have to finish this series, so let's make something up. Yep. Gotcha. Exactly. Yeah. So I write on page 97 in the... Uh, chapter entitled Spiritual Warfare, Winter is Coming, is the motto of the House of Stark in the HBO series Game of Thrones. The Starks are the lords of the north. Their motto literally means what it says. Winter is coming. The land of Westeros, where the Starks rule, can have very long periods of summer and winter that can switch suddenly. As their family motto, Winter is Coming, means for the Starks that they need to be constantly vigilant. As rulers of the North, they need to be prepared for anything to happen. The Lannisters, dragons, or White Walkers, something could happen and eventually will. And then this next paragraph, I explain why I used that phrase, winter is coming. According to the Emmy-winning novelist and scriptwriter of Game of Thrones, George Martin, winter is coming also expresses the sentiment that there are always dark periods in each of our lives. And even if things are good now, summer, we must always be ready for a dark period where events turn against us. And there, Peter, uh, I started listening to the book, The Benedict Option today. Hmm. Have you read that? No. Um, I read the, I read its counterpart, um, Out of the Ashes by Anthony Esselin, or Tony Esselin. Um, I read the cliff notes for the Benedict option, but maybe you could fill us in a little bit more on what well, you're thinking. I'm only two <laughs> chapters in, but the idea there is what the author Rod Dreher is talking about is that Benedict had been this, this monk and then he goes off and he lives by himself for three years in caves. And then he comes back and he's integrated a bit in society, but uh, the the whole concept of what I'm understanding so far with this book is that Benedict understood that we are at war and we prepare ourselves by not being in the world uh, and or of the world, it's being in the world. And so, uh, I mean, he pulled people out of society and lived among themselves. And that's kind of what we need to do. And what I'm getting at in this chapter is that we are at spiritual warfare. And we're going to see that with the next section from Revelation chapter 12. And to be prepared for battle, we can't just be keep doing the same things we're always doing in the world. We have to separate ourselves. And we as Christians separate ourselves by being in the church, in Bible studies, in God's word, surrounding ourselves by with fellow Christians so that we can then put ourselves back out into the world and be prepared. Yeah, and the, the summary that I had read um, had said that he made a good case for building basically alternate, alternate communities uh, of Christians, where if Christians are... Um, you know, as has happened at various times and places in history, if they are um, disenfranchised from regular society or they aren't allowed to transact and carry on business, um, that that is a legitimate reality for the Christian church at any point in history. 
And so that Christians should be aware of this and uh, get ahead of it, so to speak, by building strong Christian communities that aren't just worship communities, but places where you can work together to provide goods and services and actually have, you know, basically a secular community life, but in your own kind of Christian community. Yeah. And then with that, uh, one of the big things I talk about, too, with people is why give our money to people who hate us? You know, whether it's any kind of media, uh, whether it's different TV, uh, movies, and anything like that, uh, different companies, and they're going to turn, use our money and then use that to promote things we're going to look at uh, next, things that we are against and we're opposed to as Christians. Why do we support them? Let's support our own companies that will give us the things that we want. And that's what we have to filter, filter through and sift through. Uh, at the bottom of page 97, I quote St. John in Revelation 12. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray, he was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So, so Peter, Satan's been hurled down to the earth. He's in a furious rage against God's people. So talk about some things that uh, where the demonic forces are attacking Christians and the Christian church today. Yeah, good, good question. Um, I think generally... My starting point is to say that when we talk about the attack on the Christian church, we have to have our definition of the Christian church. Now, we're not talking about uh, specifically congregations or church bodies per se, um, but that we're primarily talking about Christians, the, the Holy Christian Church, all believers on earth. Um, the Holy Christian Church also includes believers in heaven. We're talking about the church militant, which is the believers on earth. Um, and so, you know, the first one that comes to mind actually is, um, is our public school system, um, where you've got a school system that is predicated on the idea that children are inherently good and that we can um, inculcate good behavior in them. And, um, and that directly contradicts in, in all of its, all of its science, directly contradicts Genesis 1, as well as calls Jesus a liar in Matthew 19. Genesis 1 depicting the creation of the world, Jesus in Matthew 19 affirming the creation of the world, and, um, and children are taught from a young age that, um, that this world just you know, came from a massive explosion and you give it enough time and enough exploding, and then you've got life as we have it today. Um, I think that's the starting point, and when I, I brought that up, you know, I remember teaching Revelation 12 I brought that up and there was a prospect um, who was staying for Bible class one time and uh, she stayed for a few weeks and then I got to this and I said, well, you know, our public schools are teaching children evolution, which is directly contradictory to the Bible. And uh, I didn't see her after that Sunday because um, it maybe got a little bit personal of an application. But then you extend from there and uh, we're talking about basically the atomization of, of the family. 
the splitting up of the family, whether that is in um, in our schooling system that says, you know, we're going to segregate children by grades and then you just sign this form and um, in local parentis in the, in the place of parents um, that these school administrators have authority over your children and can do things for them, such as, you know, get the medical care in the place of parents. That's the original use of um, and the purpose of that form for in local parentis. Um, but now it's been extended to that the public school um, administrators, and this isn't every public school teacher or every public school system, but generally you can find examples of this, um, will consider that they have the best interest and know the child better. And therefore, while the child is at school, affirm his or her choice about their sexuality, their pronouns, um, and encourage um, or even share with that child all sorts of education, you know, education from a very young age on their sexual parts and how they ought to be used and their freedom in doing so. Um, and so it isn't just it isn't just the um, the evolution part that that begins, but that's where it starts. That says that we came, we aren't created beings who have a responsibility, a moral and ethical responsibility to our God, but we came here by chance, and so we have the ability to do whatever we want with our own selves. Um, and pushing, basically pushing on these children, the idea of personal autonomy, when they as something separate from their their godly um, obedience to their parents. I could talk about that one for quite a while, but I'll let you jump in. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, when I asked that same question in Bible study this morning, one uh, someone said, well, the, the rainbow flag that she sees outside of ch churches here in Racine. And I said, well, that's interesting you bring that up because Wednesday morning when I was leaving uh, the plasma center, I had seen Mike, who is a security guard there, and he had noticed that I was a, a pastor in the past. And so he asked me, well, where do you pastor at? And I happened to be wearing uh, an over, you know, something like this, where it said Water of Life Lutheran Church on, on it. And he goes, oh, Lutheran. So, and he just right away said, so are you... Uh, one of those Lutheran churches for homosexuality and, or no, are, are you against homosexuality and against women preachers? Right to that. <laughs> and to be able to say, uh, well, there are three different main Lutheran church bodies here in town and explain the ELCA. They're all into that. We're Wisconsin Synod. And to be able to say, we're for the sixth commandment. We're for sexual uh, sex between a man and a woman inside the bonds of marriage and reframing the question from a negative what you're against for, to a four. But that's one of the temptations the devil has is not just in society and politics or workplace, but even churches to go into those things. Uh, another one we talked about today was, uh, and you were touching on this with transgenderism, so I read an article this week about how a school out west is in trouble because they had an 11-year-old girl on a field trip was in in the hotel room with a an 11-year-old boy. But because this boy, and it's in quotes, uh, was in stealth mode. So he was transitioning, supposedly, 
uh, that he's a girl, and so he wasn't supposed to tell anyone, and so forth. And this is that's creepy. But like you said, it's the schools that are keeping this information away from the parents. Uh, and then we talked today too, and I gave them the term transableism. So I said, just like a decade ago, you would never thought of something where there is transgenderism, where people are having surgeries to cut off body parts or add body parts. So you can supposedly change your gender and sex. Now there's something that is transableism, where people feel like, just like I said, well, I was born in this body, but I really feel like I'm to be in this body. Now in transableism, I was born with all of my limbs working, but I feel like I'm a paraplegic. You know, I was born that I could see, but I feel like I should be born blind. And then just like with transgenderism, where they're going to, you know, governments and workplaces, hospitals are going to force their doctors and nurses to buy into this and then cut off and change healthy body parts for transgenderism, they're going to do the same thing to blind someone or make someone a paraplegic with transableism. But yeah, all of this stuff goes back to what you were saying, Peter, of, hey, if if we're kings of our own bodies for just chance, then there, we can do whatever we want. So those are some examples that we are fighting a real war, and we should never discount that. Uh, so the next question then, Peter, is how do you think that we as Christians have been doing in the Christian church in fighting a defensive war? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I, I think of um, the idea that a good good offense is the best defense. Um, or, you know, World War II and uh, the, the HBO, I think it was HBO, uh, miniseries Band of Brothers, um, you know, the Germans come up to Bastogne and they're like, we've got you surrounded. And, um, and maybe it was Battle of the Bulge or a different time, but I think it was Chesty Puller who uh, responded, good, they can't get away now. <laughs> um, that it's very simple and simple-minded and perhaps even comfortable to sit back and say, you know, here we are within within the church and we just got to hold on until Jesus shows up and uh, and we are, you know, the, the frozen chosen and we just have to, um, we just have to uh, lash out at anybody that um, would walk through these doors and doesn't conform to our beliefs. I think generally um, it's very easy for Christians to lapse into legalism when we talk uh, whether defensively or offensively um, where we focus on the law focus on the visibility and the externals um, as opposed to you know welcoming anybody and saying i'm glad you're here here's a bulletin here's a hymnal um, i want you to know this jesus that the idea of of the the christian church being a defensive unit isn't the way that we think of defense um, but that since we only have one tool, which is the, the word of God, um, we need to be using that. And, you know, it's kind of the, the church that bends in on itself um, as though we are rallying our defenses to keep ourselves safe. Um, that is a church that really isn't doing its job um, and is not living as as God's church um, joyfully carrying out the Great Commission. Yeah, because you think of 
If we're only on defense, how are we ever going to take any ground back from the devil? Uh, and there, again, a book I just finished reading last night was Mark Twain's book, A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Have you ever, have you read that one? I do. I have. Yeah. And, and in that book, so you've got this Connecticut Yankee. He's an engineer, and he gets clobbered on the head. And then he is transported back in his mind, back to King Arthur's round table and so forth. And yet he's still an engineer. And so he's able to have telephone lines, supposed magic, which is really just being an engineer. So he's able to use dynamite and uh, trip wires for explosions and a Gatling gun. And so at the end of the end of the book, he has... 50 teenagers and they are defending themselves against 30,000 armed knights and their armor and everything. And so he has those, the dynamite and the trip wires and the Gatlin gun, and he slaughters all 30,000 of them. So he defends himself. But now the question in the last few pages of the last chapter is what do they do? Because they need to get out but there's still others outside of the 30,000 that have been killed and they're going to wipe them out if they leave, but they can't stay because it's not healthy for them to be around 30,000 dead rotting bodies. So they fought a fantastic defensive battle, 50 against 30,000, but they're going to lose. You know, and I think that's a good illustration. We need to go on the offensive and, I talk about that on page 100 where I quote uh, St. Paul in Ephesians. Uh, and then listen for the, the battle, the battle armor that we have. What is defensive? What is offensive? He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to take a stand on the evil day after you have done everything to stand. Stand then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness fastened in place, and with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace tied to your feet like sandals. At all times, hold up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Also take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So the idea that I have there is we need to go on the offensive to win uh, to win territory back from the devil. Mm -hmm. Anything you want to say on that? Yeah, um, just that all of the all of the items listed there are defensive things that God has given to us or placed upon us. Even that breastplate of righteousness um, is a gift from God. It's not our righteousness, our striving to lead a holy life, but it is the righteousness of Christ that has been applied to you in holy baptism. And that the only offensive weapon we have is the is the word of God, uh, that sword of the spirit. Um, and to be able to to use that, to use that wisely um, isn't isn't necessarily, you know, 
going out against all the, you know, speaking up in the public square and, and holding rallies about, um, you know, particular social issues. But where it often usually comes up is individual discussions uh, between Christians. Like one Christian says, I really care about this. And, uh, and you know, God gives us some clear guidance from his word here. Or, um, you know, it's Christmas time and I'd like you to come with me to to hear about the real reason for Christmas, that Jesus Christ, uh, the Word made flesh, was born to save you and me. Um, and to find as many ways to involve the Word of God in our speech every day. And sometimes that means getting over our, uh, <laughs> our, our reluctance. And sometimes that means recognizing that we've been covered in all these gifts of God, um, gifts from God to keep us safe. And then to say, well, he's got one tool that he wants us to use, and how do I use it? And how can I do it more? Yeah, and, and with that, I'm going to cross-promote our Thirsty podcast, and I'm on with my associate, Nathan Klusmeyer, because we talked about this in this week's podcast uh, episode on, on Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11. Uh, we talked about how we're often afraid to share our faith. And yet, how does, uh, what does Isaiah say there? He says, he uses words like speak, call out, herald, speak out, voice, mouth, word. And it's not hard. It's just talking. And the big thing is ask questions. You know, if you ask questions and and then people will, uh, that's giving them the opportunity to be able to sh to talk. And then hopefully they'll give you that same courtesy and they'll ask you questions and then you can talk and then you use uh, reason and so forth to be able to then get into God's word. So, yeah. so, so with that question leading to this next part, using these offensive weapons like the sword of the spirit, which is God's word, you're speaking and so forth. How then, Peter, can we go on the offensive in the public square? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I think, I think one example that comes to mind is um, rather than protesting at your, your local school district board meeting um, and, you know, there's, panel of people up there is going to make their decisions anyway once you're done talking. Um, it's not a bad thing for Christians to be involved in politics, um, to run for office, and to have your Christian faith inform your, uh, your political stance. As long as you're able to make a clear, logical, reasonable um, decision based on human reason, yes, that human reason has been informed by the Word of God. Um, I think we also need to watch out for one another, um, that we, you know, we, we notice people who haven't been in worship for a while. Um, if you went to a Lutheran grade school as I did, um, maybe you, you think of the, the classmates that you had going through that Lutheran grade school and you're like, well, you know, let's follow up with some of these people. Let's pull out the, the grade school records from the 1990s. Um, and let's go through the roster, see if we can track some of these people down on Facebook and invite them to worship, see that they're connected to a church. Um, and I think it's, it's some of those things where it's a personal invitation um, and speaking up about it. But then I think the last part 
um, really begins within the, within the Christian church, that we don't just settle for for simple answers like um, simple Bible class kind of answers that are just black and white, cut and dry. You know, what is the answer? That's the answer. Next question. What is the answer? That's the answer. Next question. But to be able to um, to say, well, here's a difficult topic that we're going to talk about. And let's talk about like five different things that are all related to that one central topic. And how do those different elements um, influence our understanding? Um, so that we have have practice with fellow Christians about how we can you know verbalize our support of of marriage between a man and a woman um, uh, of the comfort that we have for those who who want to leave whatever lifestyle they had been living or of the clear guidance that our church offers for how do we raise our children um, and to be able to have that conversation um, takes a, a level of vulnerability that doesn't come easily, especially when I want to make sure that um, the people that I worship with think highly of me, and I don't want to look like I have questions and I'm questioning the faith. Um, but to get over that and say, well, let's talk about a real question here that is that is challenging, and and sure, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate um, and advocate for the opposing view as well as I can so that we're dealing with um, actual questions. I think that's that's a decent place to start, um, that we don't fall into just simple answers when the world has increasingly complex questions. Yeah, and because I'm old and crotchety now, <laughs> you know, I think of a, a starting place of mockery, that mocking the devil you know, I've gotten called out by people on Facebook, for example, for sharing mocking comments, uh, Babylon B satire articles and so forth. And yet the key is the devil hates to be mocked. And so if you can just make fun of him and make fun of then his false teachings. Uh, so some examples of that. This last week, Riley Gaines, who was a Penn State swimmer, and then had lost out on, on things because of William Thomas, so-called Leah Thomas, had taken first place in all these races. And now she has become an advocate for women against transgenderism. Well, Riley Gaines was in front of Congress for a congressional hearing, and a, con a congresswoman began her comments by saying, everything you're going to hear from the witnesses is transphobic. So then when Riley Gaines talked, she called that congresswoman misogynist. <laughs> you know, so there it was just using this woke rhetoric and throwing it right back in her face. If you're going to do this and I'm going to do this with you, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's playing that woke game. Or tomorrow night, we've got a couple of friends that are going to come over to our house and we're going to watch Daily Wire's new movie, Lady Ballers. So it's a whole movie that is just mocking transgenderism. And just like, uh, you know, generations past, the movie Blazing Saddles, people say, well, that's racist. No, that's a movie specifically made by Mel Brooks to mock racism. And so you use humor to mock what the devil says is good. 
Uh, and, and one last example, I was listening to a video by comedian J.P. Sears, who is now a Christian. His most popular video, if you want to check it out, uh, he said his most popular video is where he talked about becoming Christian, that he used to be an atheist and then became spiritual and then the Holy Spirit just worked on him. So now he is a devout Christian. But he was talking about this comedian, Matt Reif, who's a younger guy, very good looking. And that's why like 80% of his audience is women. And he, uh, in his Netflix special, he had a very, uh, he had a joke of dark humor about women. And then he then went on and he was, well, this was in a in a separate like Instagram post or TikTok post. If I offended you, here is my apology. You can click on it, and then it, you, the link took you to a safety helmet. So basically, saying if it's too hard for you, put on a safety helmet. And then he goes on the Jordan Peterson show. Oh man, who is huge <laughs> in conservative circles, and you know he is not apologetic. And what? J.P. Sears said that Matt Reif is doing because now, because of all this controversy, he has sold hundreds of thousands of tickets to upcoming shows and made himself a multimillionaire in just a week. Why? What J.P. Sears says is that he has made himself uncancelable by trying to go against the cancel culture and saying, all right, this is what you want to do. Try to cancel me. I'm going to go out and go against you. And that's what we need to do in the Christian church. We need to be so bold from our pulpits, our classrooms, individual Christians and so forth to be so bold. We don't care if we get demonetized, we get taken off of Google, uh, Google searches or YouTube or Facebook or whatever. We're just going to say, this is the truth. We're going to come out and say it, even if we lose prospects, because I have too. Even if we offend members, if we're we're going to, even if we upset fellow pastors, I don't know if you and I have ever upset fellow pastors, Peter. That never happens. No, but we say this is what God's word says, and we're not going to back down. And when you do that, you become uncancelable. When you mock the devil and everything that he's turning and twisting to make what's good wrong and for him to say what's evil is right it that deserves mockery definitely and and i think together with that um it there's two things that kind of come to mind um first of all is that concept of othering that we've talked about in a previous episode where you know the most prominent example is probably racial othering and the use of the n-word against people of african-american descent um and then in african-american culture or black culture that that word was then taken as a greeting that it wasn't like oh don't call us that they they took it and then used it as a, a greeting you hear it in in their music um and it's something that that they can use with each other that uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't use that term to greet somebody with black, with darker skin, uh, darker skin tone than I. Um, but that is something that that othering does. 
that othering tries to make somebody um, less human or uh, of a different sort and other and canceled. And then they turn it around by saying, well, you can't other me. I'm going to use that and I'm going to own that for my own self. And we're going to use that. And it takes the sting out of it. Or another example would be um, Germany in the 1930s in the, the progressive uh, persecution of the Jewish people, the anti-Semitism that we've seen um, on, on the rise um, around the world today. Um, where at some point the Jewish people were compelled to wear a, a golden or a yellow star of David. And, um, and at least, I don't know any specific details on, you know, the, the German Jewish people taking that on as an example of, of pride, like I'm going to pin a gigantic yellow star of David on, on my storefront. Um, but at least in the modern era, like the Israeli ambassador to the UN, put on a yellow star of David because it had been a symbol of othering. And now he was taking it on to say, this is my identity. This is who I am. And I mean, that has the additional implication of this was used against us before, but it doesn't have that power anymore. And I think, um, you know, part of the reason that the Jewish people were persecuted was, is because, is because they are visibly different their religion is on display you can see it um, from their haircut from their dress from their food um, you can see it it's on display and how many christians are reluctant to put our faith on display <laughs> you know um, we allow ourselves to be othered as oh you're that conservative christian well um, you have a flagpole outside and you've got the united states flag and you've got the wisconsin synod flag and or some flag with a, a cross on it maybe you wear um, apparel for your church your local congregation or or jewelry that reflects um, the fact that you're a christian i think um, one of the ways that can provide an easy in for talking about your faith is to have some sort of a visible display of your Christian faith, not as like a point of personal pride, but as a point of personal confession. Like this is, I'm living as an exile, a stranger in this world that Jesus has called me to be his own. And I want to um, use this, this image, this t-shirt, you name it, this hat, um, to maybe provide the opportunity to talk with somebody that in and of itself, that isn't a proclamation, you know, wearing a t-shirt isn't a proclamation of the gospel, but it might provide a, an open door to, um, have a conversation that you wouldn't have otherwise. And since you, you brought up the Jews, uh, again, using <clears throat> mockery. So the Babylon Bee had a recent headline that says Jewish family celebrates Hanukkah 2023 in neighbor's attic. You know, they're just recalling, oh, this is what the Jews had to do during the 1930s, go over to their neighbor. So their neighbor was hiding them and then just mocking what is awful with the anti-Semitism and so forth. Yeah, let's finish I, I up mean, with this. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Let's finish up this with uh, page 103, praying for deliverance. I quote Psalm 140. Keep me safe, Lord, from the evil man. Protect me from the violent man who plans evil in his heart. Every day they gather for battle. They sharpen their tongues like a snake. The poison of vipers is under their lips. Keep me safe, Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Protect me from the violent man who's, who plans to trip my feet. The proud have hidden a snare for me and ropes. 
They have spread out a net along my route. They have set traps for me. I say to the Lord, you are my God. Hear, O Lord, the sound of my cry for mercy. O Lord, my Lord, the strength of my salvation. You cover my head on the day for weapons. Do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not let their schemes succeed when they rise up. May the trouble caused by their lips fall on the heads of those who surround me. Let burning coals fall on them. Cause them to fall into the fire or into pits from which they will never rise. Do not let the slanderer be established in the land. As for the man of violence, may evil hunt him and beat him down. I know that the Lord will provide justice for the oppressed, judgment for the poor. Surely the righteous will give thanks to your name. The upright will live in your presence. So then based on that Psalm of David, Peter, as he, and he's writing it because he is being opposed by his enemies. Why is that a difficult prayer for 21st century American Christians to pray? <laughs> because um, the most common idol in America is freedom. <laughs> like, period, end of, end of statement. Um, that we don't like the idea of being persecuted and because we want freedom and we want justice that that idea that i have this this freedom to exercise my faith and so therefore um i should be able to rely on the law to preserve that freedom for me that is my freedom to do so and then if you are infringing upon my freedom then i have the right to exercise uh exercise my freedom more blatantly and will commit it up into the hands of almighty justice uh, freedom and justice. I know we talk, I talk about um, the Constitution a lot here, um, but I think we also counterbalance that because what you see here, David, David isn't like, Lord, just let me at them and give strength to my sword and I will, I will cut them down. Um, he says, you know, keep me safe. They, this is what they are doing. Keep me safe and protect me. Um, that he commits all the justice and all the judgment into the hands of God. And he says, Lord, you need to protect me um, and you are my strength. And that's a, that's a difficult thing to do for, for any person, um, but especially in, in our culture where that idea of my personal freedom, my, my personal rights and justice is gonna be on my side. Um, that is you know, a very common idea. And sometimes it takes the place of God as, as an idol. Um, whereas here God says, well, commit your way to the Lord and commit the, the final judgment and the final reckoning into the hands of God. Yeah, on that, though, I guess where I was going with the question is that a lot of times we don't even think about the final reckoning. Mm -hmm. uh, we're always, oh, you know, God should be merciful and gracious, and he should be. And yet, he should also be just. And I think we forget that. That for us to go against the enemies, that would be revenge. And that would be wrong. Unless God is using us to bring down his divine justice. And he might use justice like he did in the Old Testament. We heard that last week in Isaiah, of how Isaiah prayed for God to come down to rend the heavens and come down with justice, you know, whether it's flooding everyone with the flood or whether it is uh, burning up the people with uh, fire and brimstone with Sodom and Gomorrah, whether it is spreading out the wicked with the Tower of Babel, whatever it is. And 
I, I think sometimes we are really weak and we're afraid to pray for God to bring justice. And I guess a way for us to do this, and then this would be the next question, is then uh, why do we need to pray a prayer like this? And I think we need to pray a prayer like this because uh, we want to be praying, God, have mercy on your enemies, of the enemies of the Christian church. Send your Holy Spirit to use your word, the sword of the Spirit, to convert their hearts. Mm -hmm. But if they are unwilling and they continue to oppose you, that they harden their hearts against you, then I pray, harden their hearts. And then bring your divine justice on them the same way you did with Pharaoh in the waters of the Red Sea. Uh, because, and this is why we need to pray this prayer, is because when we are praying for justice, he, we are praying for God to protect us as his people. You know, you and I as parents, uh, that... We're going to protect our kids, our, our spouse and our kids. And that may mean we have to uh, defend them and maybe even use physical violence, weapons and so forth. And that may look very harsh on who's attacking us coming into our home. And yet, why are we bringing our justice on them? is to protect our family. And that's what we're praying for in this. God, use your justice on them to correct their evil or to punish their evil. And in so doing, you're protecting us as your people. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, what comes to mind, at least for me is um, that old, old statement, uh, God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. Um, that that's an incomplete statement of law and gospel. Who does God hate? God hates sin. Yes. God hates sinners. Yes. Who's going to hell? God isn't sending um, uh, bodiless sin to hell. He is sending sinners to hell. Um, so God hates sin, God hates sinners, yet in Christ, he found a way to love sinners by giving his son, and then he distributes forgiveness through his chosen means. Um, or it's a question that we had in Bible class earlier today, um, that if I'm in heaven, and what if I see my loved one who's in, in hell, won't that make me sad when I'm in heaven? Well, no, first of all, uh, your loved one is going to be unmasked as the openly rebellious person who has sinned against God and willfully, willfully resisted the Holy Spirit. And you will be revealed as the believer who is there by grace alone, who has, um, by the work of the Holy Spirit, put your complete and full trust in God. And so when you're in heaven, there won't be any sadness because all you'll be rejoicing at is, yes, God's judgment is correct. God's justice is correct. Um, and, and I think, you know, a psalm like this, Psalm 140, reminds us that there is a place for justice. That we can say, you know, some of the, the social justice movements that we see in our world today, in our culture, it's not wrong per se. Um, and we as Christians can speak up about these things and should. Um, and at the same time, there's the comfort that even if things aren't corrected to our satisfaction in this lifetime, that God is the one who is ultimately the, the judge who will reckon all the accounts. Yeah. And, and one last thing is just to point out to our listeners that we are praying for God's justice every time we pray the Lord's Prayer. We pray in the third petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're also praying then that God's will is done and God's will is done by breaking the devil's will on us. Uh, anything else you want to bring up on this? No, 
All right, so we got through half the chapter, which is what I figured, uh, on this spiritual warfare. And so don't ever forget that we are in a battle. And as Paul writes in that Ephesians text, that we are going into battle against rulers, against the authorities, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is a battle we cannot win on our own because these are spiritual forces and we are weak human flesh, uh, bags of flesh, as I, as I hear in other places. Uh, I think that's a good illustration of us. And we can't go against them. So we need to use the spiritual weapons. And the spiritual weapon is the sword of the spirit. And we use that to go on the offensive. So hopefully, our listeners, you go on the offensive this week and every week. Yeah, and, and I mean, a simple way of doing that is um, think of that one person that maybe it's a relative, maybe it's a friend, um, an acquaintance, and say maybe they already have a church, you know, but that church doesn't teach actual justification and say, hey, we've got this Christmas service coming up, or we've got, you know, Advent 4 or Epiphany 2, doesn't matter. I want you to come to church with me. Um, it doesn't have to look like fighting. It can be an open invitation and let the Holy Spirit do all the work of the fighting on your behalf. But uh, he has chosen to use his people in this battle. All right, so go out and fight. All right, have a good week. We'll see you next week.